Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning, everyone. I'm Greg. And in the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament is, is letters from Paul to the churches. And historically, Paul's letters were often read out loud to encourage and teach and instruct uh, the various New Testament churches. And if you've been reading Steph's updates on, uh, on the GoFundMe site, and if you've read much of the New Testament, you see a lot of similarities between what Steph writes on a daily basis and what Paul was writing to exhort uh, the local churches. And this morning, I have a letter from Boog himself uh, that he wants to be read aloud. Uh, you guys may have received it in an email and may have read it already, but Boog's idea was much like Paul's idea to read this out loud in order to encourage and exhort branches uh, this morning. So these are Boog's words. It says, I'm alive. Praise God, right? That, that praise God part, that was mine. He didn't write that. I'm alive. I believe God took me to the edge of death as an answer to my prayers for myself, my family, our church family, and the community we are called to love and give ourselves away to so that we may know more the reckless love of God. As I lay dying, the verse below kept coming to mind. I am to fight to live because there is more work to be done. To go home would have been a gift to me, but I'm not finished. I've been called back for whatever he would want to accomplish through the breath he has given me. Philippians 1, 21 and 22, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I have so much to share, but my strength is only now coming back. Thank you for the space you have given me to heal. However, there is no way I could not pause in this first post to say how humbled I am by the way you have fought for me and my family. I've been awakened and found the beauty and strength of my wife, Stephanie, and the way my children have been grown and stretched in ways that I wish for your children. You have raced to our side with finances for our health care and prepped our home so that I can live in it with my now changed health. You have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. I've awakened to see God answer the prayers of our branches family, turning to our God, to each other, and to loving our neighbor. God has transformed us more and more into his people. Our God is faithful. With every breath I've been given, I will use even more Excuse me, with every breath I have been given, I will use even more to share the message of our Heavenly Father's reckless love for all his children. And all is in capitals. No one can run out to, of the reach of his love. The temporary suffering is worth it, is worth this gift every time. One thing, bug. So let's continue to pray for Boog, for Steph, for the kids, and look forward with anticipation to when they come 
back to be with us here. But for the time being, I think it's best for us to continue to give them that space uh, and, and remember him in our prayers uh, and remember uh, the celebration that is to come when they're back with us here at Branches. Hey, guys, are going to pass out some Bibles. If you need a Bible, to kind of raise your hand and grab one of those Bibles from them. That would be really helpful as we're continuing our series in Philippians. If you don't know me, my name is Michael Bischoff, and I've been here a few times before, getting to know you guys, love you guys. Getting over a cold, I think I won, uh, you know, that battle that goes on. Any of you can relate to this cold battle that's going on? Uh, I think I won, but if you hear some weird uh, things coming out, or I cough, excuse me, just forgive me now, and if I start really coughing grossly, please turn me off and give me about three minutes to do what I need to do, and then I'll be back in action at some point. But um, I was glad to just be here with you this morning, um, for sure. So thankful for John Eshelman and the way he's been preaching and doing some great things. You guys love John. You guys know it's amazing that he's able to do that with the amazing ministry he has. I hope you're like praying for him and his ministry, because he does amazing things at high levels. I mean, he's like in involved with amazing government people and leaders, and I mean, I think this week alone, you were tasked, weren't you, with like, you, you hired a new speechwriter for Sarah Palin, right? I think just this week. And I think, I think he was even asked that if we cannot find a qualified candidate after the next two debates, John will step in to be the next president of the United States. Amen? That would be nice to have talk with but uh, John is an amazing ministry, seriously, that does work with a lot of people in, in very high places, and the fact that he's here speaking with you on Sunday is just so awesome. So uh, it's a privilege for me to pick up in Philippians 3, which is where we're going to be this morning um, in this series on Philippians, which Boog planned before all this happened way back in November, December. And um, even though I, I do kind of feel like the third string guy around here, and I know I'm not a regular part of your church family, uh, I do feel very much a part of, of your life through relationships with some of you. We did, my wife Darlene and I got to see both Boog and Steph and pray with them. And uh, we took a friend of mine, Cliff, uh, this was the Sunday right before Boog's surgery on Tuesday morning, and got to go to UCLA. And Cliff came with me, because Cliff is almost 70 and had a lung transplant in July. And he's doing so great. And so I had told Boog about him many weeks ago, even months ago, and kind of knowing that this could be a reality. And so Cliff came with me and was just able to encourage him and basically kind of say, look at me, you know, I made it and I'm almost 70 and you're your age. And so this is going to go well. And it was such a sweet meeting to be able to do that with him and, and hopefully encourage him. And now to see how well it's going and the fact that he's kind of out of the hospital and just be praying for him daily. And I hope you're reading some of those updates as, as I am as well. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm in this journey with you, uh, even though I don't get to see you every Sunday. Uh, I'll be here a little more in the next few weeks uh, and we'll get a chance to be hanging out here together. Good stuff. Um, Philippians, what an awesome way to launch a new year uh, with a theme of gratefulness and thankfulness and joy. There is probably no clear book in the Bible that talks about those kinds of things. So this message today, I just called How to Be Thankful because really we need lives that are full in order to give out of that fullness, right? You can't give away what you don't have. And so to the degree we can understand all of the amazing things we have, and that doesn't minimize those of us that have gone through suffering or pain. 
Um, and as many of you know, I have. I shared some things here with you about mourning and grieving and suffering uh, with my mom who had a stroke almost a year ago now next month and uh, have gone through a horrendous year myself. And yet at the, even the suffering and pain can bring us to a place of thankfulness, of gratefulness. And it's important to be able to say that. You guys as a church have gone through hell. To have a friend and a pastor like, like Boogie and, and their family and to watch that happen and to see someone almost die, there's no other way to say that. That's kind of like a living hell. And yet to be at a place now where you can look and hear like what he just wrote, right? And to be able to go, thank you, God. He, he's, he's here uh, for a purpose. We all have that kind of purpose. Have you noticed that there's something about going through suffering and pain that sort of offers up a choice? It kind of gives you a choice, doesn't it, right? You can become angry and bitter and blame and even hate, or it can make you more thankful for the little things in life, right? you got a choice. We all have that kind of choice to make. Um, a friend, Eric Wong, um, is a picture of him up here. I don't know if any of you know Eric Wong. Eric kind of got his way around some places, lived here in Orange County. He was a snake handler. He liked to go catch rattlesnakes and stuff like that. As you can see from what's on the screen, Eric passed away in May this year after being diagnosed, I think about four or five years ago with stage four colon cancer. Eric was almost my exact same age, 51, I believe, when he passed away this year. And I remember running into him, it was a few months before he passed away, and we ran into each other in front of the Ralph's grocery store right in our neighborhood. We both live in the same neighborhood. And I remember him talking to me about kind of the updates of his health and how things were going and how difficult it was. You know, when you get diagnosed at stage four anything, that's not a good thing. Though he had made it about four years, I think, at that point. Three kids hoping to see his daughter get married. But there was something about that conversation I had with Eric that made me take notice. I couldn't take my eyes off his eyes. I couldn't stop listening to the depth of his words. I realized I was talking to a person that was bumping eternity. And that's real different. You don't meet that every day. You don't get to talk to that every day unless you have a very unique job and work with people who are, who are dying. But Eric was focused. He knew his days were numbered. He didn't know when. He knew only the creator could determine that, you know, when he would go home to be with the Lord. But he was so focused. But he was so lighthearted. There was no sense of anger. There was no sense of bitterness. There was definitely no sense of hate. There was really only a sense of love and a desire to love with whatever other days God gave him. And I remember going away with tears in my eyes going, I want to live like that. I'm not, well, I am dying. We're all dying, right? We, that's the one thing guaranteed to every human being. We just don't know when. But I want to live with that kind of passion and thankfulness and focus that Eric had. And that's why I put his picture up here, because, you know, we watched, you watched the boogie bump and death here a couple weeks ago, and now he's in this place. But, you know, all of us are in a place where our lives are so fragile. And you have to remember that offers you up a choice. 
So that kind of sets the context for what I want to look at at Philippians 3 this morning. So turn in your Bible, or verses will be on the screen as well, Philippians 3, because the Apostle Paul says some amazing things. And we're actually going to, this is a little shorter chapter, we're going to get through all those verses. I come from a background that if I don't get through all the verses, I start to shake, like feeling I left something out. So I, I, we're going to go through and read all the verses in Philippians and see what God has for us there, and we'll see if we can get some really good lessons for us out of it as well. So it starts at the beginning. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. What a great phrase, right? Rejoice in the Lord. You might want to, if it's your Bible, like underline that or circle that um, or write that down somewhere. Rejoice in the Lord. It forms the framework for everything that's coming. Commentator Gordon Fee says, for Paul, joy is primarily a verb. I love this. It's something we do rather than how we feel. Now, think about that for a second, right? Because most of us are in this place where we're like, man, Joy, I'm just not feeling it today, you know? I didn't have my Starbucks or whatever, so I'm just not feeling the joy. But it's not primarily a feeling. It is an action. You do joy. Even if you don't feel joy, you can do joy. Well, what, what does that mean? How, how does, you know, maybe that's hard for you to figure out. I know it's hard for me. Uh, I think I've shared this with you before. De uh, depression is kind of my pathology of choice. Uh, if I'm to go somewhere dark, that's where I go, okay? I've struggled with depression for a lot of years, and um, it's really, it's not a laughing matter, but that's thankful I can laugh at it. Um, but that's kind of where I go. And I just learned something this week about myself, um, and that's, I, I wake up every morning kind of on the dark side. That's just me. That's just what I do. And maybe because it's something stupid like I go into bed too late or uh, being motivated by late night food commercials. And literally, when I, in, in the worst places of struggling with my depression, when I would do that, I would stay up as late as I could. And then I would find the pizza place that had like the latest delivery schedule. And I would order pizza at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., because some places would do that, get pizza, and then just eat myself into a pizza oblivion. And then go to bed. And I expect myself to not wake up depressed, you know? We, we do stupid things like that. Maybe it's just ending my day with the wrong attitude. I think it's important to reflect on what your kind of deal is in your cycle. And I know you're not me and I'm not you. We all have a different way that we look at this. But I think it's important to understand. So I, I want to let you in a little bit to my thinking because I don't feel like I can rejoice in the Lord or make joy something I do if I don't understand myself better. We have to become a bit reflective to do that. So I spent some time journaling this week, and this was on, I love journaling normally, but sometimes I need to be reminded, and my wife reminded me about the importance of doing that in the morning. So I spent some time journaling in the morning, and I actually wrote some things down that I thought would be really helpful to share. And normally I don't do this, but I'm inviting you into my journal, okay? Kind of like I'm unzipping my diary and giving you the key, and you get to kind of see, because I'm going to write it up here for you. But it's, it's really what I thought about, because I got this issue um, that I struggle with, like I said, depression. And I started to think about it, and it helped me to kind of draw it out. So I was writing and writing and writing, and then I kind of got to this place where I realized that I wake up depressed almost every morning. And, you know, maybe I just have low serotonin in my brain, and, you know, maybe I should go get meds and everything would be better. But um, I'd like to think that living my life differently according to God's word is going to make a difference in that, okay? But so I wrote down kind of over here that I have this issue that I wake up in this place 
of depression, and it's dark, and I don't want to get up. I want to just pull the covers over my head, and I don't want to face the day. And that's a pretty frequent thing for me, to be really honest with you and kind of vulnerable. More days than not, I feel that way. If I have an appointment to go to or something, yeah, I get out of bed and I shower like I have to and I go to it and I'm okay, but more days than not, that's kind of how I feel. And what that does is it leads me into my day in a, with kind of an attitude where I, at best maybe I remain kind of lazy, I'm reactive, I worry, uh, I'm fearful, I'm unmotivated, I'm unfocused. Some of you maybe relate to some of those kinds of feelings in your day. Um, and so I have this place where I, I move to be, being, we'll just call it reactive, for lack of a better word. I start in depression. I move into my day in this kind of reactive way. And then I realize that throughout my day, I have these feelings of, of really being incompetent, of feeling unworthy. Now, that's how you want to face every part of your day, right? With feelings of being unworthy, and when you got to go into a meeting or you got to face your boss or you got to negotiate a deal or whatever you do at work, you got to teach a whole classroom of children, do you want to feel unworthy and have to face and do what you do? And yet I realize I feel that so deeply so much of the time. And that results in a day where I don't really accomplish much and I waste time. And I don't live according to any kind of mission or according to my call. And I avoid risks. In fact, I avoid a lot of things. I avoid people. I don't want to answer the phone. I don't want to answer emails. I live in this place of, and I'll just put it down here, avoidance. See this cycle? I wake up in depression. I end up in this reactive kind of mood. I end up feeling unworthy throughout my day. And then I end up avoiding people and anything because I just am not in a good place. And then I end up, and here's the bedtime deal, I end up going to bed feeling totally unfulfilled, just totally unfulfilled, no sense of accomplishment. I feel further behind. I don't sleep well that whole night, and that's the way I live my day. So down here I just write unfulfilled. And the cycle starts again the next day. Does that make sense? Kind of, I mean, I know I kind of, it's hard to let someone into your journal and make that make sense to you because it's deep stuff in me. But to me, this is what I did in my journal. I wrote this. <laughs> I don't want to live that kind of day. But that's my day so often. And I don't like that. I want to be able to change. So I've been working on some practices in the morning and trying to have a different kind of attitude. Going through Philippians is helping me understand that joy is a choice that you make. So I started to think, through, what if I were to change that at one point and see if it tweaked everything else in the entire cycle? So I, I, I began to write down what it might look like if I changed it. So I'm going to tear this off. I'm going to ask my sweet wife, Darlene, who's here with me this morning, to come up and be Vanna White, kind of, and hold this. So here you go, Vanna. So you can see that one. Yeah, give, give her a hand. She loves coming up here to do this. No, actually. She can preach, too. Invite her back sometime to preach. Okay. Um, what would it look like to move away from this toxic cycle, which I think that really is kind of a toxic cycle, to what would a more healthy cycle look like? So I started to think, okay, so over here, if I feel depressed, what would it look like to wake up thankful? 
okay? Thankful. That's what we're talking about this morning, okay? To put my mind on God from the moment I kind of wake up, open my eyes, Scripture, to do kind of conscious practices throughout the day that help me keep my mind in that place and to be thankful and to have healthy thoughts. How cool would that be to start a day differently? Because maybe I have this choice when I wake up. And I believe that I do, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that other people who aren't depressed don't need some things like medication. I'm not minimizing that in any way. But I think I've got a choice, and I can do some things with my mind and what I like to call my mental formation and understanding that, which then would move me in my day to be proactive rather than reactive. What if I was able to move to a place where I could be proactive and intentional about some things? focus on my mission, put first things first in my life instead of this reactive feeling of fearful and being unmotivated and being unfocused. I'm like, I kind of like this day better. It's feeling good already because I think I would feel more worthy and competent and loved and gifted with much to offer others because here's the little secret. Even with leaders and teachers and people that stand up front in rooms like this, many of us, most of us, all of us, sometimes inside feel really unworthy, that we have nothing to give. And you do it and you kind of crank it out and you hope it comes across well, but if we were to let you in on the dirty, dark secret, it's that I don't feel I have anything to offer you. And yet I do it anyway. And that's the way many teachers and pastors and preachers and fill in the blank that stand up front really feel about things. But what a difference, right? To be thankful and to be proactive and to feel that I am worthy we sung about that this morning. What is it like to wake up thankful, move to be proactive, feel that you're a worthy person because God has chosen who you are. You're a child of God, and that's so awesome. And then I'm going to feel motivated to get to the place where rather than avoiding, I might be able to take some risks, take some risks for God. Instead of avoiding people, good things will happen. Rewards come often when we take a risk that we didn't want to take, but yet God does it with us. And he's there with us the whole step of the way. And then I can go to bed thankful, fulfilled, happy, with much accomplished, and I have a feeling I'm going to sleep well when I go to bed. And over on this side, instead of unfulfilled, feel joy. Because I did joy here what is it like to go to bed and feel joy and then wake up thankful? Does that make sense? You see the difference in a cycle that one day can make? And then in my journal, if I show you up here, I mean, it's right here. But in my, in my little journal, I wrote this. That's the difference to me. So thanks, honey. Thanks for doing that. Um, that's the kind of reflective, the kind of reflective thinking. Oh, we don't want to see that one on front. Let's flip that one over. Yeah, leave that one up. Just put that one down somewhere. That's the bad news one right there. So if we were to be able to think differently, what does that look like, right? The first cycle comes from my myopic place of living in a place of scarcity or emptiness, okay? And if you want to come see those afterwards or take a picture, we'll leave them up here afterwards and feel free to come up and, and I'll even sign it and you can take it home if you want. So <laughs> the second cycle comes from a place of thankfulness resulting in joy, 
right? Do you need to be reminded to do this, a practice like this every day? I do. I need a reminder to do something like that. I think that's why Paul says in verse 1, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. In other words, even if Paul's friends Timothy and Epaphroditus would remind them in person, okay, in this whole interchange, can, can we ever hear this message enough? You are worthy. You matter. God made you. You can live in a place of thankfulness that will result in joy. You can do joy, and God's going to use you. I love that. That's what this is about. Paul goes on in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. You know it's going to get interesting when a passage already starts talking about circumcision. Okay? We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul begins by telling them, and this is kind of in, in the original language, you can see it differently, but he tells them to watch out three times. He says, watch out for those dogs, watch out for those evildoers, or literally bad workers. They're not good workers, they're bad workers. Watch out for uh, those mutilators of the flesh. And now this is interesting, because they're more interested, the people Paul's talking against, they're more interested in whether or not someone cuts off the end of their penis to prove that they're a Christian. You can laugh at that if you want, but that's really what he's saying. In the churches back then, there was some history going on there um, that it's important for us to understand because do you notice how people sometimes totally miss the point? That's what was happening here, totally missing the point. Certain churches in Gentile areas had been infiltrated by Jewish Christians who insisted that these new Gentile Christians weren't going far enough and needed to live according to the Old Testament Jewish law, which included circumcision, okay, right? You study the Old Testament, you realize circumcision was a very important part of the Old Testament Jewish law. But now if you're a new Gentile Christian and you decide to follow Jesus, what's going to make you more thankful? A message of a gospel of freedom that says, come as you are, or one that says you can only be accepted if you cut the end of your penis off. <laughs> which would you choose? Just think about that for a second. I think I know which one I would choose. Thankfulness comes from freedom when it's Jesus plus nothing. But a natural human tendency is to put confidence in external things. The way we look, if someone knows you're a Christian because of the way you look, let me just tell you, you're trying way too hard. Sometimes we're so concerned about the way we look. Dress becomes really important in certain Christian contexts, right? Rules like, and I've, no kidding, I've been part of a church, some of you might have as well, where you could not wear shorts. You could not come in. The ushers would literally turn you away if you had shorts on. My wife and I were on staff at a church once, and she was exhorted by uh, another pastor's wife that her ankles were showing. Dress became very important. Her ankle, yeah, not her legs, her, her ankles were showing. Dress becomes this kind of like boundary marker that if you dress a certain way, you're in, and if you don't dress that way, you're out, and this is kind of scary, okay? This is a little what was happening back in this time with Paul. Language is another one, right? The way we talk, the things we say or the things we don't say, and you want to just kind of talk a certain way if you're going to fit in. I was part of a church once where if you didn't talk a certain way, you didn't fit in, and you knew it, Okay? There's a little video clip. Some of you have probably seen this. It kind of makes fun of this. But this is a lesson. So this is training for those of you that struggle a little bit with language, okay? And you don't know whether or not you're saying the right things or not, okay? So let's watch this and be instructed about the language that we use. 
Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's the fish? 104.3, the fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo. Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's just not enough meat, you know? Are they non to non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah, we'll bounce your ass. <coughs> Dang it. Crap. Shoot. Sheesh. Frip. Darn it. What the H? Holy crap. Son of a beasting. Dude, he's really teeing me off. I'm gonna kick his A. Are you asking me right now? Not cool. I find that offensive. Now you know what to say and what not to say. You know, the problem is that most of us don't even have the credentials to do what, what, what Paul says here, put confidence in the flesh. That's why Paul goes on to say, in the next verse, in verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have much more. Circumcised on the eighth day, he was really a Jew, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Do you know anybody like that? Somebody who brags, boasts, vaults their stuff. Not talking about presidential candidates now, right now. Just talking about just general people. But do you know anybody like that? Paul goes on. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Interesting, right? He had so much he could boast about. He had these qualifications. He had these credentials. And he just says they're loss. They're loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I love this passage. The gains that I consider gains to me, he says those things are loss if I'm thinking about what Jesus really wants. 
They're lost for the sake of Christ. You know, just think about it that way. True confession here, how many of you bought one of those big Powerball tickets like a week and a half ago? Okay, you don't want to share in church, right? How, many, how much money you spent on that Powerball ticket? Now, here's the other true confession. How many of you made a little deal with God about how much you would give away if he just let you on? <laughs> you know you did. You know, because that's, God, I'm praying. I would give so much away. Orphanage here, I'd build, I'd help homeless, I'd, and there would be no homeless person in the world, because I would just build. We do those kinds of things, right? No. God knows, you know, loss for the sake of Christ. That's why you didn't win. That's why you didn't win. Everything is a loss versus knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, this word, my gains, when he says garbage, he calls my gains, the things that are gains to me, they're garbage. It's this Greek word, scubula. Do you want to know what it means? I mean, you walk your dog sometimes, step on the lawn and get something on your shoe. That's what it means. It's crap. That's the word. It's like... You couldn't pick kind of a grosser word or a dirtier. It's something that's only worth flushing, you know. But how many of us literally want to kind of frame our gains, you know? According to Paul's analogy, that would kind of be the equivalent of like going into your toilet, scooping out what's there, going down to Hobby Lobby, getting one of those kind of shadow box frames, sticking it in there, and like hanging it on the wall. That's what it would be like to do that. Don't do that. No, don't do that. Not, not a good thing. He goes on in verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is so good. The word know there, simple word, to know personally through experience or interactive relationship. In fact, I think I've said this here before. Almost all the time you see the word know in Scripture, it's not head knowledge like we tend to think of it. The word know is about interactive relationship. When he says, I want to know Christ, he doesn't mean I want to learn more about him. i got to do more Bible study. It's not what he's saying. He's like, I want an interactive relationship with Jesus that is so close and, you know, to the degree that you know what Jesus went through for you, that's going to affect your ability to live a life that is thankful, right? To know what Jesus went through. Just this last year uh, in March, uh, Darlene and I had the privilege to visit Israel. And one of the things that is awesome in Israel is you can kind of walk the Via Dolorosa, right? The place that Jesus walked, or at least like 30 feet above the ground where Jesus walked. But there's this amazing experience as you do that and go through what are traditionally called the stations of the cross. And to think about and reflect on everything that Jesus went through from getting condemned to dying on the cross. And there's something about why we would even do that. And we're about to enter into, again, the Lent season where we re reflect on those kinds of things as we move toward Good Friday and Easter that is powerful in our lives, though, because when we realize what Jesus suffered, it makes a difference in our lives because there's something about suffering that either makes you bitter or it makes you better. There's just kind of not a lot in between there. So understanding Jesus' sufferings, and that's what Paul's saying here. He knows the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. We need that if we're going to figure out how to do joy and be thankful. It goes on in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, 
but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this is so good, because I, I just wish Boog was here this morning. Of all the times I've preached, he's never been here yet. I've never been here on the same day that Boogie's been here. But this is where it comes from, you guys. But one thing I do, okay? That's not just a great logo for a sweatshirt, that, you know, or a t-shirt that some of you wear. It's not just a good bumper sticker. This is God's word. One thing I do, Paul says. What is that thing? Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Is that awesome? That's what one thing is about. One thing. Not 20 things I dabble in. Not a few things I think might be important. But one thing. The ability to put my mind on the goal. What's your goal? What's your one thing? Do you see how that one thing and having a clear focus on that can bring you to a place where you can wake up every day and be thankful? Where you can live a life that's proactive, feeling like a worthy child of God, take risks for God and his kingdom, and be able to exit it with a place, with a place of joy, knowing that you are making a difference in God's kingdom wherever it is all around you. That's what it's about. So keep wearing those shirts or bumper stickers, or wherever you put that phrase, one thing. Just keep living it. Just don't say it. Make sure you live it. Verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I love it there. Because he's saying, you know, if you're mature, if you're, if you're kind of moving toward this place of completion in your life, a place of wholeness in your life, if you're moving from fragmentation to wholeness in your life, it's really about grasping that one thing. And honestly, flip side of that is grasping that one thing is gonna help you move from a fragmented, disjunct, broken, lonely place in your life to living according to one thing with joy. That's why it's so cool. And he wraps it up with this when he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but, I love this phrase, Another one to underline here. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. No matter what issue, pain, suffering, questions, etc., it might keep you stuck or discouraged here. It won't always be that way. And when he says our citizenship is in heaven, it's important to note that it could be a little bit confusing. It's not what you probably think, okay? Don't think heaven up. Think heaven here. And there's a difference, right? The kingdom of the heavens, as Jesus talked about them, or the kingdom of God throughout the gospels is what surrounds us every single day, okay? Because God brought what was up there down here. 
And that's really, really important to understand. This isn't about going to heaven when you die, but about the way heaven comes here through the rule and reign of Jesus working through us, right? The kingdom of God is this whole cool thing where God is overcoming evil with good throughout all of human history and using every one of us to do that. That's really cool. That's your assignment. And if that doesn't allow you to live a thankful life, I don't know what will, that God is using you on his special assignment to overcome evil with good. And when you walk out of here today and someone does something wrong to you or mean to you or not nice to you, you have a chance to bring heaven down here and live in the kingdom of the heavens as Jesus described them. That's what he's talking about. And that allows you to do joy and hopefully will fill you with thankfulness. I think it's important to do some exercises and stuff with this too. I, I shared how I was journaling about that this week. Maybe that's something you want to do this week. Um, I'd encourage you right now, as there's some thoughts in your mind, if you've got paper and pen or you can even take some notes on your phone, to write down a few things just that you're thankful for. There's something about the process of thinking and reflecting on what we're thankful for that moves us to different places, Right? And so just take a minute and do that and, and just jot a few things down. Even as I'm saying a few closing words here, what are you thankful for? Write it down if you can right now. If not, here's a second challenge, that you would keep a thankful journal, a thankful journal. A lot of you might even do this. It's something that I've dabbled in and my wife's been pretty faithful in for a lot of years. But before you go to bed at night, challenge, write five things down, five things that you're thankful for. They can just be real and honest and raw. They don't have to be like all happy-pappy things. They can be just stuff that's there, okay? But if you do that every night, you watch and see how your mind gets transformed into a thankful place, and you can be in a different cycle that looks more like this than on the other one that we saw right there, committing to live from a place of thankfulness rather than from empty places. And if you're thinking about some things, let me just close with this. If you're struggling at all, there's a little thing that somebody wrote just called, I am thankful. And it's for the little things you usually don't notice. I am thankful for things like, for the wife who says it's hot dogs tonight because she is home with me, not with someone else. For the teenager who's complaining about doing dishes because that means she is at home, not on the streets. For the taxes that I pay because that means I'm employed. For the mess to clean after a party because it means that I've been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for my shadow that watches me work because it means I am out in the sunshine. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about the government because it means that we have freedom of speech. There's a different twist on it, huh? <laughs> I'm thankful for the parking spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking and that I have been blessed with transportation. I'm thankful for my huge heating bill because it means I am warm. I'm thankful for the person behind me in church that sings off key because it means that I can hear. <laughs> I'm thankful for the pile of laundry and ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. I'm thankful for weariness and aching muscles at the end of a day because it means I have been capable of working hard. I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours because it means that I am alive. 
Same words Boog put in his deal. I'm alive. God, thank you for life. Thank you for joy. Move those things to a place where we can do joy in our lives. Live grateful and thankfully. Help us to know how to do that in some new and fresh ways. God, thanks for Boogie's example, even example from the hospital bed that we are learning from about gratefulness and thankfulness and joy overflowing. Thanks for the words from Philippians this morning as well. In Jesus' name, amen.